Our reading this morning is from the book of Romans, Romans chapter 7, and we're going to read from verse 21. Romans 7, 21, it's page 1134 in the Pew Bibles, page 1134, Romans 7, verse 21. Romans 7.21. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Chapter 8, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Amen. We thought about temptation and the Christian's battle against sin, and I spoke in part about how apt we are to wander from Christ and to enter into temptation and sin. And I quoted the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7. He says, what I do is not the good I want to do, No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. And he goes on to say, what a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body of death. You can almost feel Paul's frustration and exasperation in these words, his sorrow over his sin. So what happens then when we, like Paul, fail? When we, like Paul, fall into sin? When we fail to live as we should? When we do the things that we hate and when we don't do the things that we love? When progress in the Christian life seems too slow, when the battle 
seems too hard. It's a reason for the Christian to despair, to give up, and to walk away. Never. The cry that we could interpret as a cry of despair, O wretched man I am, that cry leads immediately to thanksgiving. Isn't that strange? Verse 24, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And then the very next verse, verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why is he thankful? Well, the answer is found in the next chapter of Romans, in Romans chapter 8. And I would like us to spend some time working our way through this great chapter of Scripture, this famous chapter in the Bible. I don't know if the text above me is too small for you to read, but you you should have access to a pew uh, Bible if you can't see it. It's page 342 in that Bible. Surely one of the most famous chapters of the Bible. I wonder how many times I must have read verses from this chapter at the hospital bed or hospice bed, when, when, when life is hard, when death is near, the words of Romans chapter 8 can lift us and strengthen us and encourage us and remind us of that which we need to hear to keep on pressing on in Christ. It's a great reminder of who we are and whose we are and what we have in Christ Jesus. Here is truth that should cause us to say with the Apostle Paul, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There are very few, sorry, there are a few very famous uh, lines in this chapter, and the chapter starts with one of those. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You may have noticed Quite a few of the songs that we sang this morning had that line within them, that assurance that there is no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. That's the bit that we all know, isn't it? But then as we read the next few verses, it it becomes a bit less familiar and a bit more complex. There's an awful lot of laws crammed into an awful few verses. Therefore, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Then verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Verse 3, for what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature. God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. That seems quite dense, doesn't it? There's a lot in there. 
And it also seems a bit complicated. What does Paul mean with all these different references to different laws? Well, usually when a first century Jewish person mentions the law, that person is referring to what we now call the Old Testament, to the, to the Hebrew Bible, uh, perhaps referring specifically to the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, the Torah, or, which means law, uh, sometimes called the Pentateuch now. In shorthand, we might say referring to the law of Moses, which can be summed up, I suppose we could say, by the Ten Commandments. Now, Paul speaks of the righteous requirements of the law in verse 4. So, what the law demands of us is right and is just and is good. The law is not bad. The law is bad news for those who fail to keep it, but it's not bad in and of itself. The requirements it makes are righteous requirements. The law in itself is good, and the law does some good things. The law shows us what a good and godly life looks like. Imagine a life lived in obedience to the Ten Commandments. That's a good life, isn't it? And a godly life. Or imagine a life lived in accordance, in obedience to, to Jesus' summary of the law and the commandments of God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Imagine a life lived like that. That is a good life, isn't it? A good life and a godly life. So the law shows us what a good and godly life looks like. The law also shows us how far short we have fallen from the standards that God requires. His he is holy, as we sang at the start of our service, and so by His very nature, He cannot and He will not accept that which is unholy, that which is impure. He is good, and therefore by His very nature, He is utterly opposed to that which is evil. The law lets us see something of the nature of God and something of the nature of ourselves. It shows us how good He is and how far short we have fallen. We might say that the law gives us an accurate diagnosis of our condition. The problem with the law is not that it is bad. The problem with the law is not in what it does. The problem of the law is in what it cannot do. The law is powerless to get us to God. And that is what we were created for. We were created for fellowship with God, and the law cannot get us there because we are powerless to keep it. We are born with a nature that, that leads us into sin. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
The law provides the diagnosis, but it is powerless to provide a cure. The law is powerless to take you to God, to make you good enough for Him. It makes plain the reality and the depth of our sin, the rebellions against God. And Scripture also tells us in no uncertain terms that the wages of sin, the fruit of sin, the result of sin is death. So we are dead to God in our sins. And we will die at the end of our life because of sin. And then after that point, we will experience, if we die in our sins, what the Bible calls the second death. But there is good news. Romans chapter 8 is a chapter that is filled with good news. That's why it's so famous. That's why we love it so much. Because it encourages us, it reminds us of the good news of the gospel. It says that the law is not the cure, but it doesn't say there is no cure. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Asks Paul. And then he says, thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who will rescue us? God will rescue us. Look at verse 3. What the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did. How has He done it? He's done it through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's done it by sending His Son on a rescue mission. What the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. God saw our sin against Him and rather than standing aloof and looking forward to the day where we come before Him in our sins to face His just judgment, rather than standing at a distance in anger, He came to us in Christ. He came to us in love as a man in the likeness of sinful man, and yet never yielding to sin, in order that He might become the Lamb without blemish, in order that He might condemn not us, but sin itself, as He died for us on the cross. All those animals that were sacrificed for all those years in the temple, they were merely pointers to the one sacrifice that truly counted, the one true and sufficient sacrifice, which is Christ Jesus, the Son of God. So that's who will rescue us, and that's how He will rescue us. Who is it that He will rescue so I'm saying us, but, but, but who's us? Who can say that they are ready to meet with God without fear of condemnation, without fear of that thing that the Bible calls the second death? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ 
Jesus. If you are a Christian, then you are in Christ Jesus. It's like you're wrapped up, you're surrounded by Christ, and as God looks to you, He looks to you through Jesus Christ. As God loves Jesus, He loves you because you are in Him. As Jesus is secure in the Father's love, you are secure in the Father's love. You have been raised with Christ and seated in the heavenlies. It's not in doubt, it's not in question, as Jesus is declared right and just in the eyes of God, those of us who are in Christ Jesus are declared right and just in His eyes too. So, if you are not in Christ Jesus this morning, or if you're not sure whether or not you're in Christ Jesus this morning, I ask very simply, I appeal very simply that you would delay no longer, that you would leave no room for doubt, that you would give yourself wholeheartedly to Christ. All that you are and all that you have would be given to this great adventure, this great journey with Jesus, that you would place all of your faith and all of your hope in Him. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, says John, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him, that is to say, whoever is trusting in Him, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. If you have not placed your faith in Christ, then where are you placing your faith? Where is your source of hope? Is it in yourself? In your ability to be good enough? Well, look at the Ten Commandments and look at how Jesus interprets those commandments for us. He says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. You think, well, that's easy. At least I've ticked one box. Then Jesus says, and you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. The bar is too high for any of us to meet. And then let's think again about that summary of the law, the, the commandment that Jesus calls the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And the commandment that sits in as the second of those. And love your neighbor as yourself. Who of us can live our lives consistently like that? I wonder if any of us can keep the greatest command for even a single solitary day 
of our lives. Can we really love God as He deserves to be loved for a day or for a minute or for a moment? Never mind every minute, every moment, every day of our lives. I hope we see the foolishness of placing our faith and our hope in ourselves and the wisdom of placing our faith and our hope in Christ. And to those of us who know that we are believers in Christ Jesus, those of us who are in Christ, live for Him. Look at verse 4 again. We are those who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. So we are those who ought to strive in the strength of the Spirit for growth in godliness. But we know that we will sometimes struggle and stumble. We know that we will have battles with the flesh and with the devil. We know that we will get annoyed with ourselves sometimes. We will wonder to ourselves, am I really growing at all? Am I progressing? Am I getting anywhere? In these times, never give up. Never disengage. Never walk away. You are still in Christ, and there is no condemnation for you in Him. The righteous requirements of the law have been fully met in Him. Your sin has been fully condemned in Him as He died for you on the cross. And just as Jesus died for your rescue and your redemption, He lives to intercede for you, to intercede on your behalf, to defend you from accusation. His love for you is utterly consistent, utterly reliable, utterly unfailing. It is the love that endures forever. So in the, those times where you find yourself like the Apostle Paul saying, what a wretched person I am. Who will save me from this body of death? Who will save me from this tongue which has spoken ungodly words again? Who will save me from my eyes which have looked at things I should not have looked at with ungodly lust? Who will save me from my hands which have lashed out in ungodly anger? Who will save me from these feet which have taken me to places that I know I should not have gone? Again, when you say, who will save me from this body of death? Who will save me from my old nature? Who will save me from my flesh? May you also be able to say with the Apostle Paul, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. May you remind yourself that your faith is not in yourself. That's not where your hope lies. May you look again to Jesus. May you preach the good news of the gospel to yourself. His love for you does not depend upon your performance. You are secure in Christ. Your sin will have consequences course, and you should hate that sin, and you must fight that sin, but do so remembering and rejoicing that there is now no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
remembering that your hope is not in yourself, that your hope is not in your own goodness, that your hope is in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Your hope is in Christ alone. Rejoice that you, that though you were once a slave to the law of sin and death, now you are free. Now you are alive to God. And when you die, you will truly live. When you die, you will be like your Lord, for you will see Him as He is. The battle that rages inside you is only for a time. It will come to an end. And then you will be like your Lord, for you will see him as he is. He has conquered for you. He is in you by his Spirit, and you are in him. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our trespasses, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He may display the surpassing riches of His grace, demonstrated by His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's say... Uh...